This is the Cover 2 Podcast with Don Banks and Nick Stevens. Brady on the deep drop, stands in, fires down the middle for Gronkowski, makes the grab at the 45, spinning away from defenders. He's gone to the 20, to the 10, to the 5, to the end zone. The Cover 2 Podcast on Patriots.com. The play fake and a throw to the end zone for Antonio Brown, touchdown Pittsburgh. Nobody covers the NFL like the guys from Cover 2. Eight different receivers have caught a pass from Matt Ryan today. He's looking to throw again. Wide open, Julio Jones has it, and in the end zone, touchdown Falcons. Now, Don Banks and Nick Stevens. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Cover 2 Podcast with Banks and Stevens. I'm Don Banks, one of your co-hosts, joined by Nick Stevens, my co-host. Happy New Year. Merry Christmas. Are we still doing that? I don't know. What's the what's the statute later. of limitations on how long you're allowed to say Merry Christmas? Because yeah. sometimes people say it all the way into the New Year. Yeah, I guess two or three days to, feels right okay. to me. We're, we're doing this podcast this week on Thursday because of the holiday. I uh, hope everyone out there had a great holiday and is looking forward to a absolutely spectacular New Year's weekend full of football. Mm-hmm. That's what that, you know, I miss the days. I miss the good old days where December 31st, a.k.a. New Year's Eve, segued right into New Year's Day and all of those football games mattered. Growing yeah. up, that was honestly probably my dad's favorite day of the year get all the guys together, watch a lot of football, just 12 straight hours of Chinese food and football. And now, instead, we get this weekend. Saturday at 4 o'clock through Sunday night, pretty much every minute that you're awake yeah. and football's on matters. It really does. And there's been Week 17s, even last year, was incredibly anticlimactic. Uh, mm-hmm. Week 17, I think almost everything, seedings and divisions were clinched. Except for Cincinnati with the little right. 4 o'clock surprise. The for Buffalo, Bal- Baltimore, yep. uh, Cincinnati, Nexus was, was fascinating. Mm-hmm. But this week, um, obviously the league has done its its homework, and it, it put all seven of the games in the 1 o'clock slot, which only two of them really have any import, and then everything is backloaded mm-hmm. into that uh, four, 425 slot. You know, it's very chic, Don, for people to, from television, podcast, radio, etc., to just hop on their platform and just berate bitch and moan about the nfl just you don't do this well enough you're inconsistent about that by and large this feels so weird to say because of that fact this has been a wild unpredictable largely enjoyable mostly incident free season where there is a ton of juice on week 17 and this whole idea of division rivalry sunday in the finale of week 17 is great it started out okay last year. It's really panning out this year. We have an actual playoff game. The playoffs technically begin week 17. Right. With Indianapolis at Tennessee and Sunday I'm ta- night. I'm going to tell you the MVP right now, Red Zone. Scott, uh, Scott, it's not Scott Hansen. Scott Hansen. Scott Hansen right now, he must be doing mental and verbal exercises, <laughs> getting ready for his Red Zone Sunday 4.30. Seven hours. Oh, my God. You started I mean, to say the MVP in art. I thought you were going to say Roger Goodell, and I was going to pass out. Uh, yeah. oh, I would have kicked my own self in the junk if I did that. You know, no, it, it does set up nice. Scott Hansen. Saturday, you have the two national championship semifinals. You have Clemson, Notre Dame. Which I think got closer because of Clemson suspensions. Right. Uh, You have Oklahoma and Alabama. Speaking of Alabama, uh, our guest today on the podcast, and he was tremendous. We pre-taped it uh, a little bit earlier this morning. Phil Savage, obviously you know him as a former Cleveland Browns GM, longtime Ravens personnel executive. But 
the man also did nine years on the Alabama Crimson Tide radio um, broadcast as their color analyst. He's now the general manager, the new general manager of the Arizona Hotshots, one of the eight uh, American Alliance, Alliance of American, American Football, football which right. is launching the week after the Super Bowl. Not only do we talk to Phil about that and all the um, really the interesting names that have already joined up with this league, but we talked to him about all the topics in Week 17 in the NFL. He knows the Baltimore Ravens and the Cleveland Browns almost uh, uniquely from an inside position. Uh, we talked to him a little bit about Baker Mayfield and could the Browns knock the Ravens out of the playoffs. So there's a lot, and I promise you it's worth a listen, a lot to uh, dive into with Phil as well as the college football yeah, playoffs. They're really, as the kids like to say, there's a lot to unpack there, Don. Yep. Yeah, but th- really, there's a guest who could speak to the Alliance of American Football coming up, the, the resurgence of the Browns and what's going on in the NFL, and the college football playoffs, and you're going to get all of that and then some. It's Not to like, mention what's going on in Baltimore with the John right, Harbaugh and that too. situation. Which I know. Is is a little curious. Now, wait a second. And doesn't Phil have a young kid, too? i got two kids under the age of six, and He's I can barely keep young. up with this podcast. Yeah. And this guy has a podcast, does radio, used to be the color guy for Alabama, now is the general manager of an AAF team, used to run an NFL team. How the hell? What does I don't he know. do? I don't know. I was wondering the same thing. There's not enough hours in the day. He's got a hand in a lot of different um, football pots, so to speak. But you're right. This weekend, woo, you know, buckle up because, all right, now granted, in the 1 o'clock hour, the games that I – Look at obviously the Patriots have to take care of business. Now hold on, I, I know we promised we would not do any Week 16 lookbacks, but I just want to give producer Kevin Collins one chance to play his favorite song that he loves to troll me with. But I want to hear it once because it mattered to me last Sunday. Well, you won't. Oh, he, he walked away. He walked away. Oh, which Kev, I, was, I set you up for it. Furiously, oh. I was trying to signal you. Oh, I thought you were cueing him to play it. It was it was a pretty cool the, just that the, juxtaposition of irony and and fate and I, karma. I had to. I can't believe. I should have just said in the pre-show meeting that we just had to talk. Nick Foles taking like the chest shot and going down on the ground, and I could hear the Rocky announcers. The like, Foles is down. Falls is down. Kevin, you stepped out. Nick set you up to hit Fly Eagles Fly. I needed Fly Eagles Fly because it's the one time I wanted to hear it. It was that... a Patriots fan. Oh, thank you. Okay. Favorite song fly last Sunday. Eagles Fly. Can't believe you made that kick. Fly Eagles Fly. And I love that other Nick. <laughs> How about I, the fact? Uh, how about the fact that the Patriots knew exactly what they had to say? Thank you to Nick Foles. They tweeted it out. It out. Yes. All the beat writers said the locker room went nuts. People blank, yeah, like it went from like a celebration to a party. I feel like that finally turned the page on the Super Bowl loss. I, I, they finally got over it because they they had to they had to put on their mm-hmm. green and root for the Eagles. It's just it was the most 2018 ironic cruel thing that the team that beat you in the super bowl with the backup quarterback who somehow rose to that particular occasion now also had to basically help you punch your but ticket. what if he wouldn't have done it this time right. then that then would have been oh it would have felt awful i it, and it does beg this question don and i know we have a whole off season to get into it i know but where you're going you have to right what do you do in, in philly at quarterback how, right how do you how i mean Seven and one since he's come back, they just play better for. I mean, the fact that he took Clowney's best punch, got up, and then still delivered 
to a it's like Rocky, man. How about yeah? That's it's right. almost like he plays in the town where Rocky's from, right? But, it, but, but how was your blood pressure when Nate Sudfield took the field? For that's that what one? I was going <laughs> to say. One uh, play. I was just like, guy, get ten yards because I know the kid could make a sixty-yarder, even though he shanked an extra yeah. point earlier. Nate first round. So by we're Sudfield. on the air doing the post-game show, and mm. they're basically Paul and Andy and Hardy are basically giving a play-by-play of the Eagles game because that's all anybody wants to talk about. Oh, that <laughs> and, and uh, Sudfeld or whatever comes in. And airmails Jeffrey on the sideline yes. about and 10 yards. And, and Andy's like, what is this playing quarterback for the Eagles? And I was like, Sudfeld, a uh, little-known quarterback, played at Indiana, blah, right. blah, blah. And they were, like, they were like stunned. Yeah, claim to fame was only losing by 20. But what is, what does it say What does it say about you, Mr. Uh, Pat Patriot, that your <laughs> offense throws for 125 yards and you're sitting a, here with bated breath depending on the Eagles. And Nick Foles throwing for 400 yards. It was 126. Bleeding from the chest probably like Drew Bledsoe after the Mo Lewis your, hit. Your playoff hopes were dependent on that. That was, that Kev, was, that was a beautiful thing there. To, football to fandom and being me are both dirty businesses, and sometimes you got to do what you got to do. I'm telling you. I took a very long shower that night. Darren Sproles helped you out too big oh, time. On, yeah, he put, did. Put it into chip 20, shot range. 2012. Darren Sproles deciding to show up for that game was, it was fun. It was a fun sequence. I mean, I, I great game too. Thirty three, thirty two. If you're a Texans fan, you would have <laughs> you would have loved to win that game and kind of put the the seed away, but didn't happen. All right. Uh, and did I not tell you last week as as the sky was falling? Yep. They aren't that far away from getting right back yep. in the two seed. Here's what's got to happen. Boom, boom, bing. It happened. Yep. I know. I know. I know you said it. I just I couldn't believe it till I saw it, and I couldn't believe I saw it, and I did. And wow, it was already a merry Christmas. I'm not saying there aren't problems still. Oh, basically, ton, but basically, ton of when, problems you're, with but. when your head hits your soft, you know, Tom Brady pillow mm-hmm. on Sunday night, you'll be one win away from the AFC title game again. Pretty much, yeah. that's what it's going to wow. be. One I, home I, game. Unreal! Win. Unreal! Oh, they could unreal. They could potentially appear. But when you're snuggled up in your onesie on Sunday. Sorry. Night. So let's 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 week seventeen. Are you trade? Are you, do you tra- have a onesie? Are you trading Wentz? Uh, I am not trading Wentz. I am not. I I do believe that Foles, fir- uh, Jalen Ramsey in a first. Look, I believe Woo! that Foles gives them something in the way of confidence. They're more explosive with him in there. They feel better about everything. I also believe that if you had to play Foles. If you had to play Foles every week, I'm not sure you'd get the same thing. I really am not. I think he may be one of those guys that is better, a little less is more, actually. So, like, Hostetler. Again, the Hostetler comp comes up. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm not saying he, you know, if he's playing five games, he's getting exposed. I'm just saying I don't think I'd give up on Wentz and the potential that you saw the first two years for what is a short, small sample of great play. I know, but at the same time, one of them walks, and that's that. I guess maybe you get a compensatory pick for him. The other guy, you can get franchise cornerstone building blocks so that while you have Foles for the next, let's say he gives you good quarterback play for five years, you still have time to potentially find someone. Maybe you'd get 10 out of Wentz, and I know the city loves him. I think they're too invested. You can get invested. a haul for him. You can get a haul for him. Can you? I mean, even with his his injury record of the last year, I'm not. I, I, I think you could get a that, lot. I think I, I, a lot. Jacksonville can, would give up a lot. I, I'm telling you right now, I would just I would knock on that door. I'd pick up that phone and say, hey, 
Wentz, and, I'd say Ramsey in a first. Let's go. I think Howie Rosen, Roseman and uh, Doug Peterson are adamantly against the idea of giving up on Carson Wentz. Now, right. let's let Nick Foles do his magic yep. one more time in the postseason. Let the Eagles make it. And if they win, mm-hmm. I'm telling you, there's going to be another discussion. But how, wow. do we, how do we keep them both, maybe? All right. I know we said no week 16. Thank you for indulging me on yes. that because it, it's just. Well, we needed to touch that. That was a, that was, a, that was an exciting was four, moment. Four days ago, but that was a great. Still getting the football feels from it. All right. Great ending. Page officially turned. It is now week 17 in the National Football So League. only two games in the early window. I mean, you have the Texans who have to take care of business against Jacksonville at home. They're heavy favorites. You have the. The Pats, who have to take care of business at home against the Jets, they're heavy favorites. The other five games, not nothing to really watch. Dallas at the Giants, Carolina at New Orleans, uh, Detroit at Green Bay, Miami at Buffalo. Then you get to the late window. And my way of thinking, you just boil it down to this. It's either Minnesota or Philly is getting in with the final spot in the NFC. So there's two teams fighting for one spot. In the AFC, there's four teams fighting for two spots. You've got the Baltimore-Pittsburgh thing going on in the AFC North. Right. You obviously have, as you've correctly noted, the first playoff game really is uh, Indy at Tennessee mm-hmm. in Nashville uh, Sunday night. And the only way one of those two, and I know there's a million different permutations for both teams, especially for Tennessee, the only way both teams don't get in is if ball, as if Baltimore and Pittsburgh win, and that game ends in a tie. Right, and that's not happening. That's, I'm, well, it could, but at the same time, it's probably not going to happen. I, who do you, let's, let's go right at it. Who do you like Sunday night Colts at Titans, knowing at this moment that Mariota didn't practice yesterday on Wednesday, and we, right. don't, we don't know if he's going to play, and it certainly doesn't sound hopeful. The Nick Foles of Central Tennessee, the, Blaine Gabbert. What did you call him earlier? You said... <laughs> I, you had a name for him that I had Plain, never heard. Plain Gabbert. Uh, he's, I, I just, everything is trending in the right direction. Indianapolis is about, I, I'd, I'd like Indianapolis playing against almost any team yeah, right now. I'm picking the Colts. They've not been great on the road. That's the only True. factor. They're much better at home. And I guess the thinking is they're going to line up Derrick Henry and run right at him and shorten the game. But mm-hmm. I still like the Colts in this game. I really do. I have to do my picks column later this afternoon, but I'm, I'm leaning hard Colts. Is that too obvious? Is it almost too obvious now? Because last checked on, the spread was Tennessee home dog. How much? Because of Gabbert. Right now, I believe the line is two and a half. Okay. That sounds about right to me. Yeah. Imagine yeah. that the Colts, a team we all rode off a quarter way through the season. One in five. Yeah. Third of the way through the season. Now streak towards then they so then they go on to win eight of their last nine. Playing great football. Great defense too. That's the thing. Yeah, they no, can they can score. They can score the football. It's not your 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 father's Colts defense. Uh-uh. It's not Tony Dungy's Colts defense. Darius Leonard in that conversation for defensive rookie of the year, leading that team with a pretty solid run defense that's going to get test and stressed on Sunday night. If the game is in the hands of Blaine Gabbert, I mean, did you ever think you'd say that? Did you think you'd say that with playoffs on the line? No, but he came through against Washington in the Made second half. Two big half. throws. Yeah, I, I don't foresee him having that same success against the Colts Mm-mm. if it has to be Blaine Gabbert, um, which is kind of a shame because you would have hoped Tennessee could put their best foot forward. But that is, uh, that's a great Sunday night you know, play-in game, as they say it. But but then in the 425 window, 
Um, you're going to have Philly at Washington, and obviously Philly needs help. I don't know why, but I'm kind of rooting for Philly to make it because I think they'll be more interesting and fun to watch than Minnesota. I don't, oh, yeah. I don't have faith that Minnesota is going to do much damage in the field. So if you're talking about a sixth seed, I'd put my money on the defending Super Bowl champs and see what Nick Foles can do. Right, because they're, they're, at this point now they're riding without a seatbelt or a helmet. But it makes it more. It makes it a little bit of a wilder ride. And who knows? Even though the Bears could technically rest everyone, I was going to say, how much do you think they're going to play hard if that score? Let's say uh, the Bears obviously are still alive for the two seed. Um, and I'm blanking. Who the is the 49ers are at the Rams? Let's say the 49ers. Oh, yeah, the Rams. They're who, trying to chase the Rams. They've been competitive. They have been competitive. They're surprising. They are. They're a spry bad team. Yes. They are competitive. They're in every game. They could have bumped off the Bears last week. They were pretty close to it. It was 14-9 final. Right. Let's say that's close. I say that I don't think the Bears are turtling here. If it's here. close, I don't think they I don't think they're going to tuck and run. What I worry about is if the Rams put 21 points up pretty quickly, and then then the Bears are going to back off Then you against pull Mac, the Vikings. You pull the corners, yeah. Right? You start to just, yeah. And that that puts the eagles obviously up against it which gives the eagles basically their version of the 2002 patriots coming off a shocking super bowl win upset right and then the next year you go 9 and 7 three way tie yep. you lose tiebreaker yeah yep and then you watch chad pennington go to the playoffs and you say how did this happen well i looked it up i mean the last super bowl winner to not make the playoffs is is the 2015 into 2016 broncos but the last nfc team which is the eagles are the 2011 Giants didn't make it in 2012. That's the last NFC Super Bowl defending champion that didn't make it. Yeah, um, I remember them. Yeah, I bet you do. It's, and then, you know, so at the same time, you've got the Pittsburgh-Baltimore drama going on. And that, we're going to talk a little to Phil Savage about that. But the delicious irony there is that the the new Browns could knock off the old Browns and keep the Ravens out of the playoffs, mm -hmm. and it would be second straight year on their own home field that a division straggler, a division rival, knocked them out and kept them out of the playoffs. Last year was the Bengals. Yep. The other Ohio team could do it this year. Andy Dalton's charity benefited to the sum of a nice, uh, chunky, mid-five-figure donation from Buffalo Bills fans as they their ticket was punched. Those reaction videos were awesome last year. Maybe Baker Mayfield needs to throw together a charity foundation really quick here. Can I, can I, just, can I just come out and say right now, I think the Browns are winning Sunday. I do, too. I think the Browns, because everyone, watch, the Titans are going to win now that everyone's on the jock of the Colts because it's too easy. And, every, oh, Lamar Jackson, look at this defense. They just went in on Saturday night and beat the Chargers at the soccer pitch in you know Carson, California. I firmly believe Maker, Maker Playfield is going <laughs> to go in, have him a game Sunday, find wherever he thinks Hugh Jackson is or point towards the North Star, and then just be like, that one's for Cleveland. Maybe he'll take the, you know what would be the best thing? If they have a Browns flag and he runs out to the middle at the Raven and plants the Cleveland flag like he did. A sooner. Oh, a little boomer sooner right there in the middle of the field. That would I, be awesome. I don't disagree with you. I think the Browns are really confident right now. And they want to they want to go 8-7-1, which, by the way, would be my prediction of flirting with 500 and mm -hmm. come true. And secondly, I think Baker Mayfield is aware enough to know that the Ravens were once the old Browns and Art Modell took him away, and he wants to do a solid for the city of Cleveland. Mm -hmm. And I think he would be even more of a legend if he could pull this off. What's what's the fear? First of all, they're playing with house money because they've, they've far exceeded anyone's expectations, except I know we were a little bullish on them. Yep. But 
what is it that Baltimore does? Okay, they run. Gus Edwards is like great little surprise story in the second half of the season. And Lamar Jackson, we know what he can do. He's okay throwing the ball. I like the secondary for Cleveland. And Cleveland can defend the run. Yeah, but they do have the Ravens do have the best defense in the league. Yeah. Statistically from a lot of different perspectives. Mm-hmm. I mean, they shut down that Charger team that everybody said Super Bowl contender. What they hold them to? Thirteen points? Yeah, but points? was that was that also Sandy excuse me, the <laughs> the Los Angeles Charger people. Was that was that Philip Rivers doing what Philip Rivers does? Uh, uh, you know how I feel about that. I know. It, it was it was Antonio Gates fumbling at the wrong time, but yeah, I thought they came up very small in a big game setting. Yeah. Um you can't overlook that Ravens defense, so that's a legit mm-hmm. defense. No, it is. And they're gonna give Mayfield some trouble. But I kind of agree with you. Now the other the other interesting game, Cincinnati at Pittsburgh shouldn't be a game, but who can tell? Pittsburgh lost to Oakland. All bets are off. Like it's at home. Home Ben is always usually better. Usually, usually, yeah. That game. I mean, I just could not believe that Smith Schuster fumbled. That they kept pace with the Saints last week. Played really well. They actually. did. That yeah. looked like the Pittsburgh team. I thought, wow, they survived that ugly game against the Patriots. That tire fight. The tire iron fight against the Pats, and then. They were going to go down there and shock all the experts, beat the Saints, and lay claim to being a threat in the AFC. And then Smith-Schuster, who almost couldn't play, but said he was going to go out there for all the fantasy gamers and show them what he was made of, having that epic fumble at the end of the game. This is a tough one to recover. Now, I know they get Connor back this week, and they there are a couple scenarios where they could find their way in as a wild card or division champ, but whew, Boy, the mood on Market Street's got to be rough this week. Yeah, I agree. Well, there's a lot There's a lot to chew on heading into Week 17 and a lot of interesting, I think, scenarios that might occur. Because I, I really think a lot of these games are real toss-ups. It's not like, you know, they're all they're all 10-point games. Um, I, I really don't know who's going to win between Cleveland and Baltimore. I don't know. At Philly at Washington, I think the Eagles will take care of that. But I'm not I'm not positive about it because Washington is playing just well enough to maybe create some problems. Chicago at Minnesota, we talked about that. That could be dictated by what's going on between the 49ers and Rams, and then of course the, the nightcap game. But um, should be a great football weekend, and it's uh, it's going to start Saturday with those national final semifinals. Um, all right, now we want to uh, bring in Phil Savage and let him. Uh, guide us through not only a little uh, Alliance of American Football talk, but NFL and the National Championship as well. We're going to talk to Phil about so many things, but welcome to the Cover 2 Podcast. Welcome back, I should say, Phil. Good morning. Well, thanks, Don. Happy holidays to, to you and Nick. Hope things are going well. And Yeah, the Christmas holiday to the Alliance is like the 4th of July holiday to the NFL. It right. means that the season is right around the corner and that uh, any free time you might have enjoyed is about to come to an end. Well, now, you've already had your mini camp. I, I, I read a little bit about that. Um, how, how many weeks ago was that? Yeah, each of the eight teams had a window of time that they could have a three- or four-day. Really, it was more of an orientation camp than a mini camp because when you're trying to put a football team together, you've got all the paperwork, all the human resource onboarding, physicals, equipment fittings, uh, uniform fittings, uh, media training, uh, social media uh, promotions. And so ours was 
December the 13th through the 17th, we had four different team meetings. We had two walkthroughs, and ultimately we were able to get on the field for one practice with 80-plus players. Uh, all eight of the Alliance teams had to be down to 75 uh, on December the 19th. So each of the clubs, each of the teams, rather, are sitting here with 75 players as we get ready to go to training camp uh, next weekend in San Antonio. Uh, all eight teams, incidentally, will report to San Antonio next Friday, January the 4th, and everyone will be on the field for the first official practice on Saturday, January the 5th. So, you know, we're, we're all, we all have a different hotel and a different practice location, but there will be a number of co-op practices, huh. and ultimately we will have one preseason game each. There will be a doubleheader on Sunday the 27th of January and Monday the 28th of January, which is the uh, the weekend before our final cut down to 52 players. So it's real. It's happening. I was going to say, it must be. I mean, it, we work on it every single day. I, I was going to say, it must be starting to feel very real suddenly. I'm looking I'm looking at the Arizona Hotshot uniform, and I have to admit, um, I'm not speechless, but I'm trying to figure out what look you took, a little of this and a little of that. It's green. It's yellow. It's got a little red in it. Um, any any inspiration for those colors as far as Arizona? Well, the hot shot is is really a tribute to the forced firefighters scattered across the western United States. Right. Of course, the hot shots themselves are the elite firefighting unit uh, that, again, is, is spread across not only Arizona but the western United States. So that's where the, the yellow and the forest green comes from. Got it. Uh, there's a splash of orange in there. I say that we look like North Dakota State. We look like the bison with a splash of orange there you go. Uh, in our uniforms. But one of the interesting notes about the Alliance and the eight teams is that each each team has only one uniform. So you wear the same uniform home and away. So wow. the creators of the colors and the uniforms and the team names and all those sorts of things uh, had a had an eye towards how do they contrast all the different colors so that uh, each team can wear the same uniform each and every week. And, and what they're trying to do is build an identity so that when you see that forest green and yellow with the touch of orange, you'll think hot shot and not have to figure out who we are. You'll know exactly who we are after we play a couple games. I'm going to quiz you now. I have it in front of me. You do not. I want you to name the eight inaugural franchises <laughs> from the AAF for our listeners. I want to educate people. Uh. After the Arizona Hotshots, hit me. Yeah, there there are four teams in the Western Division and four teams in the East. So out West, you've got San Diego, Salt Lake City, San Antonio, and, and then, of course, us in Phoenix. And then in the East, you've got Memphis, Birmingham, Atlanta, and Orlando. So That's right. I went back and, and looked at it just out of curiosity. I think four of the eight GMs were general managers in the NFL at one point in time in their career, and then six of the eight head coaches have been you know, head coaches in the NFL. So there's a lot of experience. I know that uh, the last time we spoke was back in June. I think it was just before our meetings, our first ever Alliance meetings in San Francisco. There were 25 people in the room. And the group represented 470 years of NFL experience. Wow. So, you know, there's some there's some real living, breathing 
football people that have been involved in this really from the from the start. Uh, Bill Polian and Charlie Ebersol have been uh, an interesting combination of co-founders. You know, Bill handles all the football side and obviously has had a Hall of Fame career. And Charlie is, you know, 36 years old and has a vision of, of what he thinks the game can be in this modern era as it relates to marketing and uh, social media and all the bells and whistles that are attached to, you know, the sports and games that we watch via television or, or streaming or, or on these apps. So it's been a real interesting combination. I, I think we've got a lot of things that I know we've made a ton of progress uh, in terms of putting these teams together because, you know, back over the summer in August, we had three different combines that included over a 1,000 players in total. Wow. Uh, we narrowed that field down to 166 guys, 89 of which were drafted into the league back in the middle of September. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, every GM and, and the coaches have been involved in putting these rosters together. And, and I have to say that when we went to practice a couple of Sundays ago for the first time, I, I was a bit taken back. I, I, the competition level, uh, the enthusiasm, and the overall talent was honestly better than I expected uh, from top to bottom. And when you think about it, ultimately each team will have 52 players across eight eight squads. So that's about 400 additional jobs in football. But those are the next best 400 players in the world relative to the NFL. So I think the competition is going to be very keen, and I think these, these spots on these alliance teams are going to be treasured by the players and agents. There's a lot of a lot of uh, competition to try to get one of those spots. Uh, we're speaking with Phil Savage here on the Cover 2 podcast. Phil, this is Don's co-host, Nick. Uh, I actually work at a radio station doing an afternoon show whose call letters are WAAF, so I'm pretty predisposed to like this league in the first place. I'm a fan straight out of the gate, and like every other guy, I can't get enough football. Uh, love the names, although I think the Atlanta Legends may be setting themselves up for, uh, I don't know, coming right out of the gate, calling yourself a legend's a little tough. Uh, <laughs> love Birmingham's good. to yeah, Bur- the, I mean, the Iron, right? About, yeah, Iron, Apollos, the Stallions. Yeah. I mean, who's not going to get behind the Stallions? And the Hot Shots. Uh, could you just tell me, for the, the every fan of football who's super excited to transition straight from the NFL into the AF and not have that midwinter's sports swoon, Give me one, I know what you're saying, it's going to look a lot like the kind of professional football we've grown to love over decades. Maybe one thing that'll be just a little bit different that the AAF may do that's unique, special, or even better than the NFL. Yeah, I think uh, over the top, the games are going to last two and a half hours. So the games are going to be you know, much quicker in terms of the investment that a fan has to make in watching these particular contests. The rules are... There's going to be several significant rule differences between the Alliance and the NFL. First of all, there will not be any kickoff, nor will there be a point-after-touchdown try. There will be all two-point plays, so two-point conversions after every touchdown, uh, no kickoff. Uh, the shot clock or the play clock will be a, a tick faster. I want, I want to say that they settled on 35 seconds uh, on the play clock. And then if you're behind and you want to try to get back in the game with an onside kick, how you do that is they're going to spot the ball at the 35-yard line. You'll face fourth and 12, and if you make it, you keep the ball. If you miss it, the other team uh, gets possession of the football. 
And, and the idea is that it's going to be uh, commercial-free for the better part of, of the contest. I'm assuming they'll have some sort of uh, rollout of commercials, you know, maybe every half hour at the top of the hour. I'm not sure exactly what the mechanics on that will be. But uh, from door-to-door, two-and-a-half-hour football game, there'll be two time slots on Saturdays, two time slots on Sundays, and everything will be carried by either CBS or CBS Sports Network, or the CBS Sports Network streaming apps in conjunction with the Alliance. So every single game will be accessible for fans uh, over the course of the 10 weeks. Wow, that's interesting. Now, the CBS tie, obviously, Charlie Ebersol is the son of Dick Ebersol, the longtime NBC um, executive, sports executive on television. Um, is is the CBS, did you put it up for bid and CBS had the highest bid? Or how, how did it get to CBS? Do you know? I, I don't know the answer to that other than the fact that CBS does have the Super Bowl this year. And for the first time ever, uh, they're going to run promotions. Matter of fact, they've already been running some promotions on selected college games at the end of the season across the CBS platform in promoting uh, the alliance. So, I'm not sure. Obviously, Charlie and his family have uh, deep ties to the television world, and I know that that was something that they were super excited about securing, but all that was done before I even joined the Alliance back in May. Well, just in case you don't know, the Arizona Hotshots head coach, Rick Neuheisel, obviously coached at UCLA, played once upon a time at UCLA. Colorado. Um, coached at Colorado. Um and now your quarterback, your first quarterback drafted was Trevor Knight. If you don't remember, played at Texas A&M, but was once the Oklahoma quarterback. Lost a jo- lost his job to Baker Mayfield. I think his record was eight and five. We looked up uh, the one year he played for the Sooners. Tell us a little bit about Trevor Knight. Is he in the proverbial pole position to be your starter? Yeah, it's really interesting, uh, guys, because when we were putting our coaching staff together initially rick chose hugh freeze the former Ole miss coach to be our coordinator so when we had our meetings back during the fall in preparation for the quarterback draft the idea is that hey if if the game we feel like the game's going to come down to two things your performance in the red zone and with these two-point plays and in talking to the defensive staff they feel like it's much tougher to defend a dual-threat quarterback uh, from the two-yard line than obviously a, a traditional pocket-style passer. So we made the decision that we would try to draft quarterbacks that not only had some throwing ability but also had the legs. And, you know, with Trevor Knight, he ran four five four at the Combine coming out of Texas A&M. Remember, he left OU as a grad transfer, went and played for the Aggies for a year. Trevor's got a lot of intangibles in terms of leadership, personality. Uh, he's been a starter at two major colleges, and he seemed to really be excited about being selected by us. Uh, unfortunately, Hugh Freeze went on to Liberty, which I guess is actually a benefit. He graduated; he was an early graduate from the Alliance, right? Uh, back to the a college job as the head coach, and so. But we're going to stay with that same philosophy, and so we feel like that with Trevor Knight. I mean. Don, I don't know if you'll remember this or not, but he played for Oklahoma against Alabama in the in the 2014 Sugar Bowl, which was at the end of the 13th season. You know, and he lit up the tide that night. I was doing the color analysis for Alabama 
at that time. And he was 32-44, I think, that night, over 300 yards, four touchdowns. And, you know, we drafted him. I told him, look, I don't know what you ate and drank that day in New Orleans before that game, but that's going to be our official team <laughs> meal for the hot <laughs> Because if we, if we can get that kind of performance out of him, uh, he will get another opportunity to go back uh, to the NFL. He's got more than enough arm talent. I mentioned his athletic ability. His issue has been consistent accuracy over a stretch of time. And there's some mechanical things that Rick and our coaching staff feel like they've identified where they can really help him. And that's one reason. You know, how I ended up in Arizona is just the fact that Rick and I had worked together at UCLA back in 1990. We'd stayed friends over the years. We both worked for SiriusXM. So we've run the same circles a lot, especially in the last six or eight years. And of all things, Bill Polian had approached independent of each other about joining the alliance. And then literally three weeks later, this was after last year's Senior Bowl, I reached out to Rick, and he's simultaneously reaching out to me saying, look, I want to be... I'll be a GM in this league if you'll be my coach. And he's saying, I'll be a coach if you'll be my GM. So we have a really good partnership. We've had a lot of fun putting all this together. But he has a real belief that Trevor Knight and John Walford, who we drafted also from Wake Forest, have a real chance to be successful in this this offense that we're going to set up with the hot shot. Phil Savage, our guest on the Cover 2 podcast with Banks and Stevens. Um, one last uh, AAF topic before we switch, because I want to talk some Week 17 in the NFL with you as well. You're kind of a uniquely positioned um, analyst this week of a lot of topics that will be important on Sunday. You know, Josh Johnson was with the San Diego Fleet and won a game in the NFL a couple weeks ago and has played really well for Washington. That's another great commercial for your new league. Is he going to go back to San Diego when the Redskins season is over? You know, I don't know the answer to that. Uh, He was allocated to San Diego, and they opted to protect him. So he was what we would consider their first choice. But if he had been put into the quarterback pool and not protected, one of the hesitations we had on Josh Johnson is that we felt like, hey, you know, at 32 years of age and a vast background in the NFL, he might get scooped up here at the end of the season. And if that happens, would he actually come back to us? So I'm sure San Diego is trying to work through that, uh, uncertain whether he returns or not. I, I would say because of the way he played that it's likely that he'll get an offer to stay with the Redskins in light of the, the Alex Smith injury and yeah. the fact that Colt McCoy also got hurt. So, I'm thinking that he ends up staying uh, with the Redskins, which probably puts Mike Bercovici uh, into a position where he can play for the fleet. And, of course, Burko played at Arizona State. He was one of our allocations. We opted not to protect him or any of our quarterbacks. We wanted to draft out of the open pool. And, again, we were looking for quarterbacks that we felt like had a bit more of a dual-threat variety to their game. Uh, although we liked what Mike brought to the table. But he ends up in San Diego, which is one of our division rivals, so we'll see if he gets a chance to ultimately win that job. Phil, some quick NFL topics, because obviously one of the most uh, intriguing situations this weekend is that Cleveland, the Browns, not only have a chance to go 8-7-1 and finish with a winning record for the first time since you were their GM in 2007 when you guys went 10-6 and and still did not make the playoffs, 
but they can knock the Ravens, another one of your old teams, out of the playoffs, a second straight year that the Ravens at home would lose to a division rival and lose a playoff berth that was sitting there waiting to be taken. First of all, what? give me your take, if you have any inside analysis on what's going on in Baltimore. You know the players. You know the the people in that front office very well. Is John Harbaugh perhaps thinking about betting on himself next year, working in the final year of his deal and, and seeing what the market holds? Or do you think a contract extension happens for him in Baltimore? Well, I thought the timing was very interesting. You know, they did it on Friday night ahead of the Chargers game. And I tell you, it looked like the Ravens were motivated to play for John Harbaugh against the San Diego, I mean, against the L.A. team because their defense has, is, is playing lights out again. And I, I tell you, Baker Mayfield at Cleveland has, has brought a legitimacy and excitement to their fan base that we haven't seen really since 2007. And this is going to be one final test for Baker against a legitimate top-shelf NFL defense. But from a Raven standpoint, I think that you know the behind-the-scenes uh, decision to move forward with John Harbaugh, and I, I think a lot of that is because the Ravens have continued to play hard. They sort of reinvented themselves on offense with Lamar Jackson and Marty Morningwig uh, creating an offense that can work for him. But also, I think they assessed the field of what is actually out there for the head coaching cycle this go around, and they're like. If we put John Harbaugh out there, he not only could end up back in the league, but he could end up at one of our rival teams. He could end up in Cleveland, of all things. And so I think this was a bit of self-protection for them to keep their coach, honestly, not only for themselves, but to keep him from going uh, to a team that they might end up being a direct competitor of. So I think that was the motivation to, to either go on for another year or perhaps work this extension. They're talking about an extension, but we'll see if that actually uh, plays itself out. So what about the, the, the scenario where the Browns could knock the Ravens out of the playoffs? I mean, do you like this young Browns team? I, I thought they would be uh, relevant this season. They're they're flirting with 500. They obviously found their quarterback. Um, how do you see Sunday playing out on that front? Do you think Baltimore's in <laughs> some trouble? Yeah. I talk about the Browns each and every week on one of the local stations in Cleveland, and they've been more fun to talk about this year than, you know, since I got fired in 2008 (laughs) in terms of really having some positive news to report. And it hasn't just been Baker Mayfield. I mean, it's been Denzel Ward and Miles Garrett over on the defensive side. And isn't it amazing how they, they removed Hugh Jackson and Todd Haley and now Freddie Kitchen is not only a hot name for coordinator jobs around the league, but some people are talking about him as a candidate, as a, as a dark horse candidate for a head coaching job. Greg Williams, we know what kind of swagger and confidence he has. Look, he believes he should be the Browns coach in 2019. I don't know if they'll really go that direction because they can't make the playoffs, but they can have a winning record at 8-7-1. Uh, it's been it's been fun to see it all come together for them because it, it is a team that has some young talent. They still have some holes. Obviously, they've got to continue to get better along the offensive line. The loss of Joe Thomas to retirement uh, has, you know, been somewhat obviously been somewhat of a of a downturn on that offensive front. But they 
we'll have an entire offseason to get that sorted out. But David Njoku, the tight end, has played well. Nick Chubb has been a nice find for them. And, you know, there's going to be a bit of a changing of the guard in the AFC North, especially if Joe Flacco moves on from Baltimore. And obviously Ben Roethlisberger can't play forever. And we don't know what's going to happen in Cincinnati. But I think the timing, and I said this to Tony Grossi, one of the beat writers, way, you know, years ago, I said, Tony, the Browns won't be relevant in this division until Flacco and Roethlisberger move on because it doesn't matter who the Browns really draft at quarterback. They're not going to be able to catch up with those guys, those veterans. And Andy Dalton has played that well at times, played well enough at times to put him in that same category. You're talking about having the fourth best quarterback, but now, two, three, four years from now, you could conceivably picture a scenario where the Browns have the best quarterback in the division in Baker Mayfield. Which is so surreal. The up is the new down, left is the new right. The Browns are good. Every every game matters this Sunday. The playoffs begin Sunday night. Uh, it's it's a wild time to be a football fan. But before we get to the before we get to Sunday in the NFL playoffs, uh, last question for you, Phil. Saturday is a whale of a football day as well. And I know you've got some ties to Alabama, and you know that network, and you know the team, and you know these playoffs pretty well. So how do you see Bama? versus Oklahoma shaking out. Uh, uh, can Kyler Murray keep up with Tua? Do you think this game's going to be close, or is this where Bama puts the foot down on the gas and gets it done, and then we'll see you on January 6th? You know, I spent nine years as the color analyst for Alabama and obviously stepped aside this year, but this Bama team has had a completely different philosophical approach. They, they have ridden this offense all season long, until the SEC title game where it was really the defense and the play of Jalen Hurts that bailed out an Alabama offense that had an injured Tua Tonga-Valoa who had a high ankle sprain, ended up with a surgical procedure after that SEC title game. And, guys, I think there was a fork in the road probably two and a half, three weeks ago where this Alabama staff had to decide, are we going to try to get into a a shootout with Oklahoma and beat them at their own game, or are we going to really turn back to our original ways, which is to run the ball, play ball control, and pound a team into submission? And when I say that, I I think that we will see both quarterbacks. You know, Tua Tonga-Valoa said yesterday that he's 80 to 85% with his ankle, and I know he's a phenomenal player and a phenomenal talent, but being 80 to 85%, is not very comforting uh, in the national semifinals. So I think we might very well see Alabama play Jalen Hurts. I think we could see them truly pound the rock with Najee Harris and Damian Harris and Josh Jacobs and really try to play keep away from Kyler Murray. I think that's Alabama's best avenue, best path to a win. I think Oklahoma would love nothing more than to see Alabama come out and try to throw it all over the lot like they have all season long with Tua uh, because I think Oklahoma thrives in that kind of in that kind of game, that kind of format. They they want to be in a track meet and I think that would be a bit of a a, a, a bit of a, a trick or a bit of a slippery slope for Alabama if they try to approach this game and make it a fifty five forty five kind of shootout. Phil Savage has been our guest on the Cover Two podcast. The uh new general manager of the Arizona Hotshots of the Alliance of American Football. Look, if you like Phil's work and you like his take, 
<clears throat> you can find him a lot of different places. Let's start with first and foremost, he does his own podcast, Football Philosophy, emphasis on the P-H-I-L in the middle of the word, um, <laughs> has done a great book, Fourth and Goal Every Day. We talked about that back in June when he was on. Um, it's just a deep dive into the Alabama football program. Uh, you also do SEC football or SEC radio on Sirius XM, which is channel 374. Um, any anywhere else your uh, your fan base can catch you. Oh, your your website, philsavagefootball.com, correct? Yeah, and then you can follow me on Twitter, of course, at Phil Savage. And uh, again, just with so many connections through you know literally thirty years of football, uh, there's hardly a, a game or a topic that doesn't come up on the radar that I don't have some you know personal connection or some. Uh, affinity to, to have an interest and, and have somewhat of a take on. And, so, that, and that's I why appreciate the time, guy. That's why I asked for ten minutes, and we just took thirty minutes because you have a, a some a handle on about everything we wanted to talk about today. It's a pod within the pod. <laughs> Thank you, Phil Savage, for your time today, and happy New Year All to right, you. Guys, uh, best wishes for twenty nineteen, and let's stay in touch. Thank- you guys, uh, keep it, keep tabs on us with the alliance. Absolutely, will we're looking forward to it. Thank you, Phil. Thanks, Phil. Happy New Year and happy kickoff to you. Thank you, guys. And it was a ton of good football talk there from Phil Savage, who went far longer. We went far longer with Phil mm-hmm. than we planned on it, but he really is in an interesting position to yeah. talk about all these topics this weekend. You said he was uniquely qualified to be able to address all the things that we are interested in, looking forward to, and currently in the thick of as well. I think he's probably really excited for Cleveland in a lot of ways. He doesn't sound to me like, you know... He, He's not bitter about it. be the bitter or no. spiteful guy. I love also, too, that you know the guy who could be quarterbacking his AAF team kind of got bumped for Baker, so he knows about Baker, and at the same time feels like this guy's fallen into his lap because of Baker, so he's probably grateful for Baker Mayfield in some ways. Uh, and yet he's got longstanding ties and friendships to the Baltimore Ravens organization. Uh, let's not forget, he was hired by Bill Belichick in 1991 yeah. with the Cleveland Browns. Oh, his eye will be on that game. So he's a good friend of Ozzie Newsom. He knows this is Ozzie's swan song mm-hmm. as the Ravens GM, going to be um, stepping into a kind of advisory role, and Eric DaCosta is going to be the, the Ravens' full-time GM next year. So there's a lot going on that uh, Phil has been a part of. And then you mix in the national semifinals after his experience with Alabama. Right. Perfect Um, analysis on that game, too. That's exactly, I I think, the crapshoot is the first game because of Clemson's And I I regret we didn't even have time to get into Notre Dame-Clemson with him. I know. Uh, yeah, that's. I mean that 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 could. For all we know, that could be the game of the weekend, college say, and pro. Yeah, I was because say of the be. leveling of the playfield. Right, the suspensions on the Clemson uh-huh. Clemson side. I know. Um, but anyway, it's going to be a fun uh, New Year's weekend and a fun uh, what seventy two hours of football, forty eight hours of forty eight hours. Yeah, we got no Monday night football. Sorry, you'll just have to get your uh, Witten and Tessator fill on Wild Card Weekend done. <laughs> Uh, Happy New Year to you out there. I want to thank Phil Savage again for being our guest. For Nick Stevens, for Kevin Collins, our producer, thanks for listening to another Cover 2 podcast, the last one of 2018. We will come back at you next week in 2019 and talk some more NFL football. Take care. 
Thank you for downloading the Cover 2 podcast from Patriots.com. Second and goal to go from the two. Toss sweep right for James White. Cuts it under the right arm. Cuts it upfield. Driving forward. Diving to the goal line. A touchdown and a title for the Patriots. I can't believe it. They have completed the greatest comeback in Super Bowl history. Log on to Patriots.com anytime for more news and more podcasts covering your favorite team and all things NFL.